so many people aren't born with that why not right they sort of they think so much about the failure what happens if this what happens if this doesn't work out and like sometimes people success doesn't come the first time i can't come the 10th time but you keep going at it Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to grow their wealth by investing in US real estate. I'm your host, Reed Goosens, and so far, I've acquired over $800 million worth of investments on various properties across the United States. On this podcast, I interview go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business to learn more about their investment journey and the cutting-edge strategies they are applying towards building a legacy. For more on growing your own wealth and by investing in the US, visit www www.readgoosens.com. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dwan Bent Twyford. Dwan has an incredible story and she started out as a broke single mother and made a massive, massive change in her life and started becoming personally known as the queen of short sales. She's done over 2,000 fix and flip properties and has taught thousands of people how to become financially free. I'm really excited to have her on the show today to, ch- to chat everything and anything about short sales, but enough out of me. Let's get her out here. G'day, Dawn. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm so good, Reed. Thank you for having me on your show today. I'm very excited. Well, I'm very excited to have you as well. I just, for those people who are listening, was on your show and we just give it a quick shout out for the for the name for everyone so they can go and find it it's called the most wonderful real estate podcast ever wonderful i I took dwan and wonderful and i made a new word wonderful i love it i love it and And you were so fabulous you were so your episode will be out in january Ah, he was so great you guys this man is so smart well, I'm really excited to talk to you because I had a good, great time coming off that show. My energy's through the roof. But like with all our shows, we like to rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid. What was it? My first ever dollar as a kid, I was a babysitter gotcha. at 10, at 10 years old. I was like, who would let a 10-year-old babysit children? <laughs> <laughs> I have a kid right now. Back then, it was okay, I guess. I mentioned in the introduction, you were a single mom. Walk us through that story and how you got, how you stumbled into real estate and what you do today. So I actually got married, I guess, from my generation being out of high school, like in the late seventies, people kind of got married right out of school, had kids right out of school, you know, and I didn't get married till I was uh, almost 30. So I got married, I had a baby and I thought, oh, life is so great. I've got a husband, I've got a baby. This is wonderful. And like when my daughter was eight months old, we went through this really unexpected, very nasty breakup. And so now I'm 30 years old and I'm a single mom and I have an eight month old baby and my car got repossessed. I lost my house in foreclosure. My husband was gone. The money was gone. And I was just like, the fuck? Like, what am I supposed to do right now? (laughs) And so, so it's not that I got interested in real estate. When I I waited later to have kids because I wanted to be that mom that's like the homeroom mom, the Girl Scout mom, the home, you know, the room mom. I wanted to be that mom that did all those things. And so suddenly finding myself with no income and no husband and all that, I thought, well, I don't want to raise my daughter in daycare because then there goes all my dreams of what I want my motherhood to look like. So I thought, I'm just going to find a job where I could work for myself. So that was my whole goal, was find a job where I could work for myself, work from home, not raise my daughter in daycare. And again, nothing against all y'all that do daycare, but I just had this different vision. 
And so I started going to job interviews. They were all in the newspaper back then. Everything was in the classified section. We had no cell phones. We had nothing. We had no Google, not even invented yet. So I kept going to all these job interviews, and they were from multi-level marketing. There'd be 200 people there. And multi-level marketing was very big in the 80s. And I thought, oh, I can see the value, but I need money today. So at one of those meetings, I met a couple guys, and they said, oh, yeah, we're real estate investors. We buy houses, we fix them up, and we sell them. And I thought, okay, you buy a house, you fix it up, and you sell it. That sounds like fun. That feels like something I could do because I thought fixing up meant decorating. So I thought, well, I like to decorate. I have excellent taste. That would be something fun for me. I get a house. I decorate it. I make it really cute. And I sell it. What a great job that would be for me. (laughs) That was what I thought I was doing. And back then, we just I had to go to the courthouse, handwrite all the foreclosures, map them out in those map books. And I went door knocking. And I, I met a woman. Her name was Barbara. And she was a single mom. And she was in a situation. I said, hey, you know what? We can help each other. You move out. I'll move in. <laughs> I'll decorate and fix it up. And it'll be great. And once I painted it, put in carpet, made custom-made blinds, I thought, wow, this house needs a lot of work. The kitchen was yellow. The appliances were green. It was awful. And I had no skills. I had no skills. So I actually started going to Home Depot and they taught live classes. So I take a class, like, here's how you tile a floor, write it all down, measure my room, go back, have the guys load up my car. And I tiled my first floor. And I took a class on how to build cabinets. So I'd get the cabinets and at night, Ada would be sleeping. I'd be screwing the cabinets and making cabinets. And I rehabbed this whole house by myself. And I made 22000 bucks on my first deal. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm I'm rich. I'm rich. I have $20,000. I was in the house. Ada was with me all day. This was super fun. And I'm going to do it again. And then 32 years later, still doing it. That's awesome. That's incredible. Um, did your daughter? I really had no idea what I was doing, and I wasn't looking to be an investor. So anyone that's listening today, you're a hundred miles ahead of where I was at. You're light years ahead of me because I honestly thought I was going to be a decorator. <laughs> it, it is not the same thing. Is your daughter involved in the family business today? Of course. <laughs> what did she fix and flip? What does she do? So I married my husband Bill. Uh, I think I told you that we dated long distance. So when I married Bill, he had two kids. I had my daughter. So when we married, they were 11, 13, and 15. And 13 was my daughter, Ayla. So I was single mom for 13 years. And during that 13 years, I'm doing real estate. I'm rehabbing. I'm doing rentals. I have a house. I have a car. I have a boat. I have like all the things I think that I need. And I married Bill. And he's got two kids. So we got all of our kids involved right away. And my daughter was and his kids were because he was also a real estate investor. Mm. So our kids were helping us on rehabs and they started buying rentals young. Now, we did not give them any money for rentals. It's like, no, you go out and get hard money like everybody else. But they rehabbed many, many, many houses with us. They teach, they train, they coach. They're just they've all been in it all since they were born, all three of them. That's awesome. That's awesome. yeah, my daughter's got commercial buildings. It's like, that's right. So tell me, what does the business look like today? You've obviously 
created, I mentioned you had some very successful books, but give us a little little sort of snapshot of the ecosystem of what you do from, you know, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. So I'm rehabbing a town. So let's just start with that. I'm rehabbing a town. So Bill and I have done thousands of deals. We've wholesale deals. We have rentals. We have, you know, storage, like all the stuff, all the stuff that you learn and you just invest in it. And he's from a little town called Clinton, Iowa. So you have to look it up. It's called Clinton, Iowa. And it's right on the Mississippi River. And when you cross over the bridge, you're in Illinois. And it's right there. So both of us go back to all of our high school reunions. So I'm from Ohio, or he's from Iowa. And we're both in real estate. When I met him, he had already done 800 deals. So he was a total rock star. I'm like, damn, man, this guy's a rocker. I love it. He knows, like, he knows what hard work is. There's no joke getting to 800 deals. Like, that's, right. you know. You put in the time. And so we started going back every five years to these little reunions. And he'd drive me around. You know how you do, like, with your spouse, I'm sure. Like, here's where I went to high school. And here's this. And here's that, you know. And this little downtown, it's only, like, three blocks by three blocks. It's just this little place. And you could tell it used to be so cute. Hmm. And it's, like, most of it's boarded up. And it just looks like time just left it standing there. But all these river towns have all been doing these rebeautification programs and they're all booming and they've got breweries and shops and coffee and food and music and dancing. And Clint and I was just sitting there like half boarded up. So I said, we should find out if they have some kind of a city rebeautification program or something and we should buy a building. And we should, you know, downtown and we should like help build the downtown back because you can just tell it used to be really amazing. Mm. And so we went to the city administrator, found out there's a downtown partnership fund and there's all these grants and it's opportunity zone and there's all this stuff. So we bought a building. So the first building was $35,000, 20,000 square feet. And it's beautiful. This has been sitting there for like a decade. Well, then. The person we bought it from told her friend, and this is like an 80-year-old 80, 80 woman. She's like, hey, I heard you bought so-and-so's building. My husband died a decade ago. I've got three buildings. Would you like to buy my buildings? <laughs> I said, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, if you'll own or finance them 100%, I can't put any money down because I bought the other building. Well, then she tells her other friend, and next thing you know, all these little old ladies are calling us, and we have 20 buildings. Wow. All owner finance, all women that are older, like we all just want to move to Florida. We've been friends forever. We hate the cold weather. And if you'll do that and send us monthly checks on the financing, we can all move. And literally, we bought 20 buildings. What's the plan? What are you doing? <laughs> no idea. So it started out, actually, we had about 10. And we thought we would rehab them and fix them up and just and keep them for like, you know, retirement. Most of them have commercial downstairs and apartments upstairs, multi-use. Mm -hmm. One's a storage unit, you know, a couple different things like that. And we thought, well, we'll build them up. We'll, you know, we'll fix them up. We'll kind of restore them back to their, because these are buildings built in the 20s. They're beautiful. The brick, I mean, they're, mm -hmm. they're beautiful. But they have all that crazy facade and stuff that people put on like in the 60s and 70s and it's trashy. So our, our original was just we'll restore them back and then we'll keep them and we'll rent them out and that'll be part of our retirement. 
But as it turns out, a lot, and we wanted to do bring events to the city. Like, let's have music festivals, and let's have a spring fest, and let's have a winter fest, and let's have this and this and this and this. And you have to go to the downtown partnership meeting to vote for these things. And we kept getting outvoted by people. Well, we tried that 10 years ago. It didn't work. Wow, that cost too much money. It's like, but but the money from the taxes pays for this to bring back the downtown. So what we did was kind of pulled a gangster move. We found out how many more buildings that we have to own to have the controlling vote. <laughs> and we bought extra buildings. <laughs> So now we go, hey, guess what? We're having a winter fest. We're having a spring fest. We're having a wine walk. We're having a Christmas thing. Here's what we're doing because we have the controlling vote. And how's it going? It's awesome. Is the it property all- values in the little downtown have already gone up over 50%. And we have about half of our buildings completely done. My husband actually had a about, uh, it's been a two-year journey. He got diagnosed with some super rare blood cancer. And had to have a full entire stem cell transplant, bone marrow, like all. And we lived in this boy in the bubble thing for like the last year and a half. So it put a brakes on some of the things that we were doing. So it started off as a five-year project. So now all said and done, probably about an eight-year project. So half the buildings, we just reboarded them back up because my husband got sick and we couldn't travel and do anything. And the other ones that we had finished we actually opened up businesses. We put in an antique mall. We put in a coffee shop. I have a, a clothing boutique and all the apartments are rented. So we're just going to keep them and pay them off and be like the hot shots in town. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. That's good. Congratulations. So I, I was like, who does that? I, you know, but after we got voted down on like 15 things, I was like, all right, listen, what else, what do we need to own? How many parcels more do I need so I can control this vote? And so that's what there we you are. did. There you are. Well, one of the things I'm interested to talk to you a little bit about is short sales, you know, how they work. I have, you know, very limited knowledge of it because I'm in the commercial real estate space. But what are you, the genesis of those people out there listening to this podcast, wanting to know a little bit about short sales is that, it, you know, the old adage is that was really, really popular before the last 2008 crash, and then it's not as popular anymore. I don't know if that's still correct, but are you still doing short sales today? And if so, can you give us a bit of an overview of how to structure a short sale? I will. And you know, the thing is, they work for commercial buildings. One of the buildings that we did buy, it had gone back to, or was in the process of going to the bank or something. It was going back to the bank. And we found out the guy that owned it, he was in foreclosure. It was $800,000 commercial building. This is a six-story commercial building. We got the bank to sell to us for $250. Wow. $250,000. Sorry. Okay, got you, got you, got you. <laughs> $250,000. But it was $800,000. I was like, damn, two hundred fifty. But we paid two fifty for a building that was at a, a mortgage on it of eight hundred. So short sales work on commercial too. And here's the key about short sales. So what a short sale is for people that don't know, it's when you you find a house and and the owner or the building or whatever they have a five hundred thousand dollar building or a house and they owe five hundred. They owe exactly what's worth. So by structuring a short sale, you get the bank to agree to take less as a full payment. So like for that one building, it was $800,000 building, we bought for $250,000 as full payment. And then the bank just, you know, uh, writes that loss off 
by sending the homeowners a 1099 or giving them a deficiency judgment or the building owner or anything like that. So it's basically just getting the bank to accept less as a full payment. Mm -hmm. And so short sales were like booming. I actually started doing the first short sales. I wrote the first short sale program for real estate investors. And I trademarked the term short sales as it applies to real estate investing. So hmm. I am actually the actual queen of short sales. So when the markets are better, people think that banks don't do them. But banks always do that because if you look at the bank's side, the bank's financial loss by the homeowner has missed you know, years worth of payments and they file bankruptcy and live in the house for another year. And maybe they get another bankruptcy and live in the house for three years. By the time the bank pays all the attorney's fees and loses the uh, interest and they don't make the payments and they have to preserve the property and they have to pay the attorneys and they have to pay the taxes and the forced insurance and all the stuff. It's actually cheaper for the bank to take a short sale than for it to drag on and they don't get it back for a year or two or three. Mm -hmm. So from the bank side of you, they're always doing short sales because they actually make more money. But people think, oh, the market's great. Banks don't do short sales. It's like, uh, yeah, the bank is still the bank. How are you finding these relationships with the banks to find those deals that are underwater, so to speak? For example, if anyone is like, hey, I'm going to go, I want to buy a single family home. I want to fix and flip. So the people that we find are on the foreclosure list. Mm -hmm. so they're on the foreclosure list. And I meet them and I meet you. I say, hey, Reed, you know, you're a foreclosure. I'm here to help you. And, you know, with your house, I can step in. I can get you some moving money. I can do this, da, 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 because, you know, you decide you're done with your house. Then you'll have a letter from the bank that says, whatever bank, Bank of America, you owe this much money, call this phone number. And a typical homeowner, the bank will try to work out like a loan modification They'll try to do a forbearance agreement. Like in COVID, we had a nationwide you know, forbearance agreement, which was a debacle. And so the bank will try, and most homeowners will try a loan modification. They'll try some of these things, and then they realize they can't keep their house. Like, okay, Duan, I will sell you my house. I'm like, okay, well, I have to call the bank because you owe too much, and I can't make this a deal that's going to be a profitable deal for me, and also give you money to move and get a fresh start. So I just call the phone number that's on the whatever notice they have on the bank and say, I want to submit a short sale package. Who do I need to talk to? They give me the name and number of who I need. And I call them up and I say, my name is Duan. I'm a full-time real estate investor. I do short sales for a living. I have a package ready for this house right here. Who do I need to send it to? Who's the person? I can close in 30 days and I can get this mess off your hands. Mm -hmm. And you just submit offers. To the bank, you'll make one, they'll make one, you'll negotiate and you'll come to the meeting and then they'll give you 30 days to close. So you can get money, get hard money, whatever you need to do, but you do have to close and get it off the books of the bank so they can close the file out. And then now you have a house, we buy the houses for 50% of the value. Right. That's awesome. So now I have a house for 50% of the value, I get a $500,000 house for two fifty. dollars I can rent it rehab it, live in it, Airbnb it. I can do anything with it. That's great. And these public foreclosure records are available to anyone who wants to Google. Yeah, they're it? in the whole United States. Unless you're in a very, very small town, the whole United States, you just go to your county and go to the county records and you can pull up all the foreclosures. And you have to be in foreclosure to meet this short sale requirement like you, you know, yeah the bank won't do a, a short sale unless the house is in foreclosure they're not losing the bank's gonna try and get it back but a typical homeowner is about 18 months behind before the bank will set a sale date this is yeah. your foreclosure sale date 
Well, then I tell the bank, well, I advised my homeowner to call a bankruptcy attorney and he said they could live there free for two years. Well, let's just go, do the math. Mm-hmm. Next three years, you're losing this, 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 this. And when you do the math, they won't even make 50% of the value of the house at the end of the road. Mm-hmm. The CEO of Bank of America says the minute they file a foreclosure note, they file it at the courthouse, the bank loses 40% of the value that day. How do you get the tenant out? Once you've once you've negotiated all that. Well, they're selling me their house. So they're, they're agreeing to leave. They're moving. They're now they have to sell me their house because I have to pay, you know, I have to buy it off from the bank. So the bank is giving me permission to buy it for less. And the homeowner is agreeing to sell me their house. Okay. So we have a closing. I give them whatever money they need to like get over here, get a fresh start, get a new place. And then we'll go in and you know, rehab it or or sometimes just flip it like it is to another investor who maybe he wants to rehab it. And so the homeowners agreed to sell. I have a sales contract. I have all the things. And I have this other negotiation with the bank. And then when the bank says, yes, I say, okay, we're closing in 30 days. Here's boxes. Here's tape. Pack it up. Right. And then awesome. they move out. And I get them a moving truck. I get people a moving truck. So I have the truck go, load all their stuff on. I walk through, make sure the house is exactly like it was. They go to the closing, we close, they get money, off they go, and then I do whatever I do with it. That's awesome. How many foreclosures have you done to date? Over 2,000. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. And where can people go find the book? <laughs> where, where, where can people go find the book about the queen of foreclosures? Where, where, where well, can they go? Um, I have a bunch of books on Amazon. I wrote the first, I wrote a book called Short Sale Pre-Foreclosure Investing with Wiley Publishing. And that book did really well. So they asked me to write another book. And it was called How to Sell Your House When It's Worth Less Than the Mortgage. So it was a book written for homeowners to, mm-hmm. to show them some of their options that they've got. And then I wrote Successonomics with Steve Forbes. So that was like a super highlight for me. And then I'm in uh, a bunch of chapters in like The Millionaire Real Estate Investor with Gary Keller. I have a bunch of chapters in... I should know, like 20 bucks. That's awesome. Congratulations on, on all, all that success. I actually want to talk a little bit about Successonomics. How did that come about? So it's like with my first book when, uh, with Wiley Publishing. A friend of mine who was a real estate investor had a book deal. And Wiley Publishing called them and said, do you know someone that specializes in short sales? Like, yeah, our name is Dwan. Well, Dwan Bent at the time. They called me and said, do you want to write a book on short sales? And I was like, I don't know, like write a book. I don't even know how to write a book. And they said, well, yeah, they kind of explained chapters, the whole thing. I'm like, definitely writing a book. So when the economics thing came, Steve Forbes did a chapter book for entrepreneurials. And so like there's a guy in the book that is a dentist, but he franchised the chain of that. And then I'm in there as the real estate expert. So basically people said, we all submitted articles and then there was like 15 different types of businesses. And I was the one chosen to write the chapter on real estate investing. That's congratulations. That's massive. It's massive. And we got to go meet Steve Forbes and listen to him talk and take pictures. And Steve Forbes hugged me in the picture. He goes, you are so beautiful. Uh, <laughs> Steve Forbes said I'm beautiful. And so that was really massive. I thought, oh my God, I, I'm dying on to heaven. I just wrote a book with Steve Forbes. <laughs> Talk cute. to me a little bit about how you've 
you've clearly a person who's overcome the odds, right? You know, being a single mom and you're wanting to, you know, make sure that you're you, you're there for your daughter. Like, what sort of drives you back in the early days compared to maybe what drives you today? You know, I always tell people, and unless you lived in the '80s, I don't think people get it. I turned 21 in 1980. I was discoing, cocaining, dating, sleeping around. I was a wild person working in nightclubs. It was like the disco era, and it was very decadent. And I was that's all I the whole 80s, my whole decade was just this massive giant crazy party. And then as I started getting like later, like 25, 26, 27, I thought, you know, I really should settle down. I want to have the kid. I want to do this. I want to do that. I just want to, you know, so I don't even know because in my 20s, I was just like a beast. I, I don't even remember most of my 20s, but I I had a job working in a health club. And this is back when they had boys on this side, girls on this side. And I worked in this health club. And so I went from all the partying and the disco and the crazy. I was like, man, I got to straighten out my stuff. I'm going to die. I need to, like, get a job where I can be healthy. So I got this job in this health club. And people were calling all the time. Do you guys have tanning beds? Do you have tanning beds? And this is in Florida. I was like, no, no, no. So I talked to the owner. I said, you know what? You need to get some tanning beds. I get five calls a day asking for tanning beds. No, that's a fad. That'll never last. That's stupid. And I thought, I could open a tanning salon. So I talked to some people I knew that had some money and said, I want to open a tanning salon. Like, it's on board. I'm like, yeah, but people that work and have jobs can't go and lay at the beach and be tan, but they want to be tan because they live in Florida. So I actually opened a tanning salon. It's straight. So from partying and no business to I opened a tanning salon. It's like, I don't know what I was thinking, but it did really well. I got three more and I started making lotion and had a clothing line. I don't know. I had like a, just a knack. And then I got married and then all the stuff and then the tanning salons. It was a whole big disaster. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to put my big girl pants on. I'm going to figure out some. I can work for myself. I did it before. I can do it again. I've always been in sales. I'm good at sales. So I'm just going to figure it out. And I just, you know, it was, the, it was that like come to Jesus moment for me. That was the pivot. Like, do I go and get a job? At 30, because I know I'll have it till I'm 50 because I'm raising this child. And do I want to wait tables and be in a bar business at 50? And I was like, I don't. I want to be a millionaire, but how do I get that? And then when I heard about the investing, I said, okay, I'm going to give it a try. And the thing is, if you try, if you fail, you can always go backwards. But you can't ever succeed if you don't try. Mm -hmm. And I have always, I don't know, I think it's my dad. My dad always said, you can do anything, you can do anything, you can do anything. And so I just think I was like, you know what? Screw it. I can do it. Yeah. I'm not no. going to do it. Why not me? That's that, and, and that's such an incredible, I guess, sixth sense to have because so many people aren't born with that why not, right? They sort of they think so much about the the failure. What happens if this? What happens if this doesn't work out? And like sometimes people success doesn't come the first time. I can't come the tenth time, but you keep going at it. You keep, it's you know, going. being persistent, and that's so important. And I think that definitely something. I'm, 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 I'm getting the energy from you that you're definitely. But I do have to tell one little thing. Sure. So my family is they're all from Tennessee. Mm-hmm. So my dad moved to Ohio. So I grew up in the country in Dayton, Ohio. And my dad's that old school. My house, my rules. You know, I'm the king of the castle. You know. And so when my husband and I split up, my dad said to me, he goes, listen, you can come back home 
This is moving back into my father's house as a 30-year-old woman. Because you can live in your old bedroom. You, you know, you won't have to worry. You can find a job around here, maybe at a factory or something. And I remember thinking, like, oh, my God. I have two choices. I can either go back and live with my dad, or I could go into the ocean and pray a shark would eat me. <laughs> <laughs> and getting eaten by a shark seemed like a better choice. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to figure it out on my own. I'm not going back. And there's no shame in going back. But with my family, it would be a terrible defeat. And I would be the topic of all the gossip for decades to come. I'm just going to do it. And I'm going to make some shit happen. And my fear of failure was going back. Mm. That mm. motivated me to make sure I didn't. What motivates you today? Um, I think what motivates me today is just really seeing like how far I can push the limits and what can I do and what's new. And also, I really honestly, deeply, I really love to coach and mentor people because I know that if you'll listen to me, I can change your future. And so I'm all about building generational wealth, like my kids and my grandkids. And I'm about doing that now. And, you know, in the beginning, I was like, I just need to make money. I flipped the house. Oh, my God, I got 20 grand. Oh, yeah, you know, but quickly I realized everyone was in trouble. And I thought that happened to me. I lost the house. I lost the car. I was embarrassed. I was in trouble and I pulled myself out. So let me help other people. So I'm all about lifting people, whether it be the homeowner or the student, just lifting them up to a higher place because everybody can do it. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love it. I have well, such a heart for people. I think I care about my students more than they do. <laughs> well, it's 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 interesting that you've um you've come full circle that you want to give back to people who have had the same sort of similar upbringing, and it's so powerful to share a story like yours through you know podcasting, which obviously wasn't around when you got started, because there are yeah. so many people who have that you know, stumble in life and, you know, get get fearful of going backwards and having to go back and live with dad or go on the water beaten by a shark. It's so common to so many people and that's why that can resonate. And you've got such a bubbly personality that I think people are resonating towards you. So, you know, you, you're, you're probably, your, your gift in this world is to probably teach people and share the knowledge. So thank you so much for coming on and giving us a little bit of your time today. At the end of every show, we'd like to dive into the top five investing tips. You ready to uh, oh. dive into it? Okay, I heard about the five questions. What are okay. Qu question number one is what is the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Um, I pray and meditate. Pray and meditate. Awesome. Any particular type of meditation? I'm a Christian, so uh -huh. I just always am praying for God's will for me. Open my mind, give me ideas, keep me going, keep me focused. Don't let me get sidetracked. So I, I spend time just praying to... Stay focused and for new doors. Every day I pray for a new door. Like today, I met you. A new door opened for me today. So today, you're the answer of my morning oh. prayer. As I always pray for God to open new doors every day that can take me to a, another level. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you are the answer to my prayer today, Reed. Well, that's that's a huge, I got a huge thing to live up to now. So. <laughs> you're, my, you're my door. The door was open to you and I love you dearly. And I'm like, I'm so happy I met you. Well, same, same back at you. Same back at you. Question number two is who's been the most influential person in your career to date? You know, honestly, probably my dad. Mm -hmm. Just always saying like, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Like, you know, don't you, you're a woman, you're strong. You can do things. It doesn't have to be a man's world. I don't really have any specific 
real estate mentor type people because I've read every book by all the people and a lot of people influenced me on that stuff. But I honestly think just being told my whole life since a child, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. You can be a woman in a man's world. You can do it. You can be independent. And hearing that in my life as my mental loop all my life, I think made me feel like, you know what? I can do it. Yeah. That's awesome. Question number three is what is the most influential tool in your business? When I say tool, it could be a physical tool like a journal or it's a piece of software that you just can't run the business without. What is it? My VA team. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that an okay answer? I can't do it yeah. without my VA team. I was like, I, I, love, I, I can't live without my team. People's teams make or break. Well, they say the, the teamwork is the dream work, right? Well, teamwork, dream work is the teamwork. dream work. Yeah. yeah teamwork makes the dream work. Dreamwork makes teamwork the dream work. Uh, honestly, I can't live without my VA team. That's awesome. There's well, too many little things, and I'm not a detail person. I'm a big person thinking. And without the detail people with me, I would not be able to be successful. That's awesome. I get caught up in the details. I'm too OCD. <laughs> <laughs> but I know it. That's so like, I need people to do that for me. Question number four is in one sentence, what has been the biggest failure in your career? What did you learn from that failure? You know what? And I know this is maybe going to sound cocky, but I don't look at any of the things that happen as a failure. I look at everything as a lesson and either A, I want to do it again, or B, I'm never fucking doing that again. That was a disaster. So I have never been a person to look at anything as a failure. It was an attempt. It didn't work. How do I pivot from that? And how do I make it into something else? And I mean, I've had a lot of crap in my life happen. Like my marriage, it was a disaster. But I look at it like, okay, but that opened the door for investing. So I take every single thing and figure out how I can pivot it to be a positive thing for me. So I, and I know that might sound cocky that I don't consider any failures in my life because there's been a million things that have happened, but I look at everything as it was a lesson. Right. I take everything as a lesson. That's great. That's great. And I think that that's a lesson in itself. And the fact that you can not have that negative mindset to say, I can't pivot or I can't keep going, but you know, I, I'm going to keep, keep going with these sort of stumbles in my life and it's only going to make me stronger. So, so well done. Right. Uh, I, I bought a house one day that had a demo order on it. And two days later, they tore it down. I was like, where's my house? So that's an epic failure. But then I thought, okay, so I need to check the city records a little more careful for the next time. And I have never been a person to get caught up in the negative stuff. I just don't because it'll suck the life out of you. 100%. Yeah, 100%. That's the, And we're so geared towards having negative thoughts all the time, right? We're always scanning for something negative and it's like we're addicted to it. But having the ability to say, no, I don't want that. So that's that's incredible. Last question. And I was that way in high school. I was just like, no, no, no. Uh, last question for you is where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be in your sphere. Where do they go? So it's super easy. They go to dwanderful.com, opt in, or go to Dwanderful on Facebook or Dwanderful on Instagram or I'm everywhere. I'm Dwanderful everywhere. That's awesome. Well, look, Dawn, I want to thank you so much for jumping on today's show. I just want to reflect some of the things that I took away from today's show. I think first and foremost, your ability to continue to roll with the punches early on and be self-educated. I think uh, one of the big things that lots, so many people get caught up with is they never want to do anything because they just don't know and they just don't ever start. And you're a person that's like, 
fuck it. I'm going to, you know, this is, this is presentative itself in life and I'm going to be able to go and make it better by doing X, Y, Z. Like the example of that tanning bed is so like, who would have thought to go and be like, you know what? I'm screw you, Mr. Mr. Fitness owner of this store. I'm going to go and start my own store. And that has led you down a path of such an incredible life. And, you know, now talking about foreclosures and short sales, it's all learnable. And I think that's the biggest thing that I took away from today's conversation that you can learn it no matter what age you are. There's no such thing as you can't, an old dog can't learn new tricks. I'm not saying that you're an old dog, but you know what, you know what, you know what I'm trying to say. Are you um, saying I'm old? Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I agree 100%. Everybody can learn. When, like you, I think you said, when you stop learning, it's like you're dead. Right. You know, you have to keep learning. There's just, there's just always something new. That's right. That's right. So, Dawn, thank you so much for jumping on today's show. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll catch up very, very soon. I thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. God bless you. Well, there you have it. Another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice from Dawn. If you want to check out everything that she's got going on, go to dawndeful.com, D-W-A-N-D-E-R-F-U-L.com. That is, she is everywhere. Check her out. She's a credible woman doing incredible things, and you can learn so much from her and her story, and I hope it has inspired you to take some action today. Uh, again, thank you for joining us today on another episode of Investing in the US, where we can learn all about financial, increase your financial IQ, because that's all what we do here on this show. The easiest way to get back to this show is to give it a five-star review on iTunes. And if you do want to come again next week, we're going to do it all again next week. So remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack.